Who doesn't love to be clean? Shouldn't we bathe our body when it gets dirty? Or clean up our house when it gets trashy? Or wash our laundry before it gets smelly? Or seek spiritual counsel when we feel dirty? Now this morning we are going to hear a promise from the words and from the mouth of Jesus himself, God himself, concerning the washing and the cleansing that he alone can do in each and every one of us. I invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 36, and verses 25 through 29. Or you may choose to follow on the screen behind me. Again, these are the words of God himself. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Uncleannesses, actually. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Now a doctor once told his patient, I have some very bad news, I have some bad news, and then I have some very bad news. Which would you like to hear first? The bad news, the patient replied. The bad news, sir, is that you have only 24 hours to live. Well, doctor, what could be worse than that? I forgot to tell you that yesterday. So let's begin this morning with some very bad news, but I promise you that before we end, we're going to share with you some very good news. The bad news is that the world we live in is very messed up. We live in a very messed up world. But that is not how it was at first. In fact, the Bible is very clear that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God was done with creating the heavens and the earth, he observed that everything that he had made was not only good, but very good. Very good. How then did our very good world move from that to being the messed up world that it is today? Well, you see, something called sin entered into the world and corrupted it. And so the first act of disobedience was followed by the first act of murder, which was followed by the first act of idolatry, which was followed by the first act of incest, which was followed by the first act of adultery, which was followed by the first act 
of rape, which was followed by the first act of sodomy, which was followed by the first act of child sacrifice, which was followed by the first act of war between nations, which was followed by the first practice of human slavery, which was followed by millions of acts of wickedness, which have made our world a very messed up place, which grieved God's heart. The Bible tells us that the Lord saw the wickedness of man, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was very great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But I'm really glad for this last line. But Noah found grace or found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now the lines that should have jumped out at all of us this morning are these. The wickedness of men was very great. And secondly, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now I don't need this morning to elaborate on the wickedness of men. You hear about the crimes. You know about the abortion statistics. You witness the mass shootings. You're sickened by the political corruption that there is. You're fed up with the racial animus. Now, where do all of these social ills come from, these social maladies? They come from one place, the Bible tells us. They come from the human heart. That's where it begins. Now, this is how God, through the pen of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, this is how God described the human heart thousands of years ago. And this is still true today. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. God says of the human heart, yours and mine, the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, there is no comparison to the human heart when it comes to deceitfulness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a rhetorical question, which means that only God can know it. And so the reason that our world is such a messed up place is that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and we are inclined toward evil continually. Now, that is the absolute truth about the human condition. Don't argue with me, because these words did not originate with me. God himself says these words about the heart. Now, back then, God destroyed the world because of the wickedness. He destroyed the world with a catastrophic flood. 
but not before he had given the world a 120-year opportunity to turn around, to correct things, to repent, to turn to him. And they refused to take advantage of that opportunity. And so ever since then, the world has gotten even more messed up while God has been patiently waiting for thousands of years for people to turn to him before he finally destroys this messed up world. I want to say to you, my friends, that God is merciful, which is why the world has not yet been destroyed, because God is merciful. He is patiently waiting so that no one of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. Which brings me to my second point this morning, that the only thing that will save our world is repentance. Repentance is the only thing that can save us. Now, Allen Ginsberg says this, not that I agree with him, but I'm sharing it with you just to show you what is out there. Allen Ginsberg says this, I quote, the only thing that can save the world is awareness. Think of the folly of that. What he's saying is that if we would only become more aware, aware of ourselves and aware of the world, that is what will save the world. How ridiculous is that? And then some people advocate that a world will be saved if we practice these 10 things. And we'll go through them. There are going to be slides there to show you um, these 10 things that people advocate will save the world. That we should conserve water. That's the first thing. And yes, we should conserve water. But will that save the world? That if we are car conscious, if we repair our vehicles and use modern type vehicles, that will save the world. That if we walk, bike, or take public transit, that will save the world. If we reduce, reuse, and recycle, perhaps that might save the world. If we try composting, use, you know, you, rather than throwing away all of your stuff, just use some eggshells and some banana peelings and whatever and start a compost heap in, the, in your backyard and that will save the world. Uh, that we should switch to LED lights. That we should be energy efficient, that we should eat sustainable foods, that we should plant a tree or two, uh, that we should give up plastics. Now, all of these are good things, and they will help, but can they really save the world? I want to suggest to us this morning, and this is very biblical, the only thing that will save our world is for us to repent. Repentance. Repentance. Let me give you the, the biblical definition for that word, repentance. Repentance is the act of expressing godly sorrow over your sin. In other words, it goes way beyond just saying, I am sorry. We're all good at saying, I'm sorry. But then we do it again, don't we? Repentance is expressing godly sorrow over your sin. And we express godly sorrow over our sin by turning from our sin to God. Now, there's never been a better time to turn from sin and to turn to God than now. And so the urgency of repentance is perhaps best captured in this anonymous quote you'll see on the screen behind me. To put off repentance another day 
means you have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. Think of that. If you delay repenting, thinking, well, you know, I can do it tomorrow or next week or next year, you have one day more or one week more or one month more or one year more to repent of because your sins continue to accumulate and you have one less day to repent in. Repentance is the softening of the heart toward God, which is the opposite of hardening your heart toward God. You harden your heart toward God when you refuse to repent and to turn to him. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, you're going to find that not less than four times in that book, the writer pleads with the readers to repent today. And so these, you'll find this verse or some version of it in the book of Hebrews at least four times. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Remember that hardening your heart is the opposite of softening your heart toward God. Now, I found this very interesting um, paragraph, quotation, from a man called R. Cardinal Cushing. And what this paragraph will show us is that all of us need to repent before God. It is not an individual thing, and although it is, but collectively, all people need to do it as well. And so, let me share this paragraph uh, from our Cardinal Cushing. He says, If all the sleeping folks will wake up, and all the lukewarm folks will fire up, and all the disgruntled folks will sweeten up, and all the discouraged folks will cheer up, and all the depressed folks will look up, and all the estranged folks will make up, and all the gossiping folks will shut up, and all the church members will pray up, and if the Savior of the world will be lifted up, then we can have the greatest renewal this world has ever known. Amen. Amen. It's a wholesale thing. All of us, before God, must do it. Because you see, only by turning away from the deceitfulness of our hearts and from our inclination towards evil, that God will, in fact, heal and save our messed up world. And so when you fast forward a few generations from Noah, whom we just dealt with, you remember that only eight persons in Noah's family, including himself, were saved uh, from the flood. God proceeded, and so this is eight, several generations from Noah, God proceeded to call out Abraham. He called him to leave the wickedness of his generation and his country and his society. To walk before him, to walk before God in a godly way. And during Abraham's time, there were two cities which were renowned for their wickedness. Now, those of you who know Bible history, can you recite those, the names of those two cities to me? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. And God threatened to destroy them by raining 
fiery sulfur from heaven upon them. But what I love about Abraham is that Abraham fell on his face before God and Abraham got into a bargaining arrangement with God. And in this bargaining arrangement, Abraham says, God, if you would find, if you go through these cities and you find 50 righteous people in them, would you destroy them or would you save them? And so let's hear what Abraham does as he is bargaining with God through prayer, as he's interceding with God for these two cities. Then Abraham drew near and said, he's referring to God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you sweep them away? Oh, I'm sorry, will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fear as the wicked. Far be it from you, God, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? In other words, God, are you a just God and you're saying that you're going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you to do that. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. See, you see the mercy of God? On the one hand, he says, I'm going to destroy these two cities. But on the other, he says, in response to Abraham's intercession, if I find 50 righteous people in there, I will spare it. But Abraham is not satisfied with that because even Abraham knows that God would not be able to find 50 righteous people in these two cities. And so he continues in his prayer to bargain God down from 50 all the way down to 10 concluding with these two lines. Let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again but this once. That is after he has gone through this long list of bargaining. And then he says, suppose ten, meaning ten righteous people, are found there. For the sake, he answered, for the sake of ten, God responding, I will not destroy it. Now you would think that God should have been able to find at least ten righteous people among thousands but sadly he could not because you see the majority chose wickedness over righteousness but the majority is seldom right especially when it comes to such matters as righteousness decency morality sexuality the majority is seldom right and that is the world in which we live the majority is saying to the minority, those of us who are in the righteous minority, you are wrong. Free expression is what drives our world today. I should be free to do with my body whatever I choose to do with it. That's the philosophy of our world. But God is still looking for the righteous minority. Are you in the righteous minority? Who will stand up for morality and propriety and decency and righteousness? I believe that when God, whenever God offers a community, a city, a nation, or an individual the opportunity to be washed clean and made new, we must grab that opportunity with both hands rather than continuing to revel in the same old, dirty, or trashy, or rotten stuff. 
I'm told that two construction workers were um, on break and they opened their bags for lunch. And so looking inside his bag, one of them said, not baloney again. I hate baloney. This is the third time this week I've had baloney and I can't stand it. Well, the other one said, well, why not ask your wife to fix you something different? I don't have a wife, he replied. I made these myself. <laughs> Imagine that. Would you not agree that most of the baloney in our lives we put there ourselves? Yes. Most of the stuff in our lives we put there ourselves. And the only way we can get rid of them is by turning to God and asking him to cleanse us and make us new. I did promise you that I would end with some very good news. Here is it. Here it is. God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God will do for each of us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let me return to our text this morning. There are some precious promises that God makes in here that I don't want any of us to leave without grasping. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Now let me point out two pronouns in this passage that we dare not overlook this morning. There are two pronouns. Can't overlook them. They are the pronoun I and the pronoun you. I refers to the Lord God Almighty. When God says that I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will cleanse you from all your impurities, he is placing himself in the role of an Old Testament priest. You would recall that the Old Testament priests, their responsibility was that once each year they would sprinkle blood on every worshiper so that they might be clean. So God is kind of putting himself in that role. But you would recall that the, the blood that was used was the blood of bulls and goats. And whereas the blood of bulls and goats um, was enough to purify them from their uncleanness, you know, physically, uh, it fell short of being able to purify them from an evil conscience. I want us to look this morning at the contrast between the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of Jesus Christ, who later would become our high priest. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 14, the writer says this. For, he's making an argument here, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now notice the profound truth in these verses. The blood of bulls and goats could only purify the body. But the blood of Christ can purify our consciences. Our consciences. And God knows that there are times we carry around heavy consciences which are laden with guilt over things that we have done. I want to say to you this morning without contradiction that the blood of Jesus Christ can purify all of us from any guilty conscience that we're carrying this morning. That is the pronoun I. The second pronoun in the passage is the pronoun you. And I ask you this morning, who was God referencing when he used the word you? He was talking to people who had built up a reputation of being defiled, dirty, and unclean. Rebellious even. Remember that God's people, people of Israel, the Israelites, they were constantly rebelling against God. God, in fact, called them a stiff-necked and rebellious people because they were always going after idols and worshiping them. So that's who he was referring to in this text. But I also want to suggest to you this morning that you also includes all of you. All of you, without exception. You who have not even begun to walk with God, as well as you who think you've already arrived spiritually. We have both sets of people. Some people who have not yet begun to walk with God, and some of us who think that because we have begun, that we have already arrived, and we have not. You means you whose lives have never been cleaned up, as well as you who think that because you were once cleansed, you don't need to be cleansed again. We have both sets of people. You, mean, you means you who think that because of what you've done and where you've been and where you are right now, you can never be cleansed. You means all of you without exception. You who have wandered away from God's plan for your life. You who have gotten into stuff that you ask yourself, how in the world could I have gotten into this? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so foolish to do the stuff that I did? Whoever you are this morning, God is making a solemn promise to you and he will not relent from it. I will wash you clean from all your impurities. I will take away your heart of stone, your heart that is so hard that it can't even respond to me. I will remove that, and I will replace it with a new heart that is inclined toward righteousness. In fact, I will put my own spirit, the Holy Spirit, in you. And I will cause you to walk in my ways. You can never beat a promise like that. And God will never back down from that promise. Regardless of who you are or what you think you have done with your life, God promises this morning that he will wash you and cleanse you and make you clean. Here's the bottom line of our message. 
God's promise to wash us and make us clean demands a response from us. In other words, God has made a promise, but what good is a promise if it does not incur a response? Here's the response this morning. There's only one application point, but it applies on so many levels. Come to God from wherever you are. Can I say that again? Come to God from wherever you are. Come if you are coming for the very first time. And there very well might be persons here this morning in this congregation, as well as those who are watching us online, who are coming to Jesus for the very first time. We celebrate that. Come, even if you're coming for the very first time. I want to also say to you this morning, come if you have come before, but you've, you have strayed away for some reason. And we have those people in the church. The church is filled with people who once knew God, but have backslidden. They have strayed away. They have gotten themselves in situations that um, they could have avoided had they indeed been more careful and more diligent in following after God. But we need not, and God will never abandon such persons. He says, come if you're coming back. Come. I want to say this morning also, come if you've made a mess of your life through something that you may have done yesterday, last week, last month, or even last year. Come anyway. Your mistake does not preclude you from coming to God. He will not condemn you and refuse you for coming. Come anyway. I also want to say to you this morning, come if you even feel that you don't need to come. Because you see, sometimes we are complacent in our own sin. And we overlook them and we feel, well, you know, I don't need to come. I want to say to you, come even if you feel that way. And I want to also ask you this morning to come in the spirit of repentance, not in pride, not in arrogance, because the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So come in humility. Come in repentance and let him wash you and make you clean, because again, you cannot do that for yourself. None of us can. There's no amount of washing that we can do that will make us clean spiritually. Only God can do that. Finally, from wherever you are this morning, I want to invite you to come and let God wash you through the blood of Jesus and make you clean. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, did any of you sense the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your heart today about anything in the message. If that is the case with you, may I see your hand, just so that I may pray over you. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anybody else? Yes. Let us pray together. God, you do speak through your word. And we believe that you have spoken to our hearts, all of us, 
all of us will find that this message applies to us on some level. We ask this morning, God, for those four persons who raised their hands in response to what you said to them. We ask, God, that the Holy Spirit would give them clarity about what the next steps should be. God, even now, as they are quietly in their own hearts connecting with you, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be doing something in their heart and in their life that can only be explained by you. God, we pray this morning that for the others of us, wherever we are on the spiritual spectrum, whether we are young in the faith or old in the faith, God, whether we are walking uprightly before you or are not, God, whether we are in tune with you or far from you, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would just encircle us today and draw us to yourself and help us to just fall on our faces before you in humility to exchange the deceitfulness of our hearts for the righteousness that you offer. We ask your blessings upon us. And Lord, send us away from this place with this message, this word burning in our hearts so that we might continually allow you to make us clean and to make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.